Welcome to the One Strong Mama podcast, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. We're talking with visionaries who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, exercise physiologist, doula, and childbirth educator. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And I'm also passionate about coconut LaCroix. And I'm Lauren O'Hayan, a mom of three girls, lover of all things tropical. I have never had coconut LaCroix, and I am known for my work with the core and pelvic floor. Today, we're talking with sexpert Dana Myers. We had such a blast on this episode. Who doesn't love a good convo on the art of balancing sexy time and exhaustion? I know I love a good convo on... (laughs) just sexy time. (laughs) However, we covered so many other topics like resentment, suffering, anger, and that really fun cycle that we get trapped in. And what I love about Dana and this conversation is the amount of concrete tips she gives us for really managing that murky puddle that we get into. Yeah, I would say that this is a big struggle that most of our clients are facing. And it's so important as a practitioner that we know how to speak to this topic. So instead of just giving the green light to resume activities postpartum, how can we really help new families navigate sexy time in this new space? Absolutely. So who is the amazing Dana Myers? Dana B. Myers is an award-winning product developer, entrepreneur, author, and media personality. Known for her frank yet empowering style, she helps women reclaim the power of their sensuality and sexual satisfaction through her coaching practice and live workshops, which I've been at and they're amazing. Her advice and her brand, Booty Parlors Products, have been featured by Marie Claire, Women's Health, Parents, Red Book, Nylon, Allure, and The Wall Street Journal. Okay, we need your PR person. Dana has appeared (laughs) on ABC Nightline, Good Morning America, Access Hollywood, The Wendy Williams Show, and more. She is also the mom to two amazing kids, and her newest book is The Mommy Mojo Makeover, which I've read and I love, and it's designed to inspire mamas to reclaim their sensuality, reignite their relationships, and keep their vaginas wet. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. <laughs> so Dana, which, <laughs> which is a problem for postpartum moms, right? So let's go that. there. I want to. Sure. Well, I want to first say that Dana also happens to be one of my best friends, and we met while I was in New York City going to NYU, and she was building herself up to be the rock star maven that she is. So we've known each other for bazillions of years, even Many. though we're only twenty years old. Many years. Um, Dana, hi, hi. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. How did you become the go-to mama mojo lady? (laughs) Thanks for having me. And um, I love the work that you're both doing. It's so needed and and appreciated. Um, So the the short, long, long, short story is that I have been a, a sexual wellness entrepreneur for 15 years. I started my brand Booty Parlor about 15 years ago, um, really out of a desire to shop for sexy things in a way that I wanted to 15 years ago. Before you had kids. Way before I had kids. The, the sexual wellness industry as we know it today was still very much the triple X business. Mm, And I thought this is gnarly. This is not okay. You know, I wanted to feel sexy and buy products that inspired creativity and confidence in this very important area of my life. And I didn't want to have to go to the sort of sleazy, cheesy, you know, uh, sex shop on seventh Avenue. Um, 
And I just thought, let's do this better. I saw the white space. Um, I had just started dating my husband, Charlie, and we wrote a business plan and raised some money and quit our jobs. Over the last 15 years, I've spoken with thousands and thousands of women at live workshops all across the country um, of all different walks of life and just really started understanding the female experience, how we feel about our bodies, our sexuality, the kind of shame and guilt and embarrassment many of us bring to the topic, um, hearing mothers' experiences. And um, it just led me to work with women to start writing books on the topics. And then when I became a mom myself, <laughs> duck, sexiest, duck, duck. sexiest time ever. <laughs> oh my God. That was, you know, really my moment where I thought, oh my God, I understand these real challenges on a whole other level that moms experience mm. to our self-confidence, our bodies and our sex drives. And then of course our relationships. And so now I write books, I do workshops, I have online programs really focused on moms and I practice what I preach. And for me, that's kind of what keeps me so motivated is that well, your sex life keeps me motivated. <laughs> so I want to say thank you for practicing what you preach yeah. because it motivates me. And to... it works. If you work it, it works. And, and yeah. I, my relationship, my marriage of 15 years, you know, we've weathered a lot of storms and the sex and the investment in our passion for each other really keeps paying off. It keeps us together in a really beautiful way. So I love to share that. So we want, yeah, we want to talk about that today. Mm -hmm. I wish this episode was actually coming out today because oh. everybody's stuck at home. Yeah. They and I'm, I'm imagining being very busy as a doula in like nine, 10 months oh, <laughs> from yeah. now. But everyone's there's, there's going to be a big baby boom. Yeah. yeah. So I, the first thing I really want to ask you about is yeah. it's on the bottom of my list, but I want to bring it to the top and it's desire and especially mm -hmm. postpartum mm -hmm. because I have found so I used to teach a lot of in-person childbirth education. And on the last day, my husband would come, he'd bring a thing of beer. We'd pull mm -hmm. all the partners into a room by themselves. And he'd be like, okay, let's, let's talk about this. And I didn't really know what he was talking about. And I come to find out he's giving them lube advice. He's like, yeah, because that's the stuff that nobody talks about. They don't talk about, you don't get to have sex for a several weeks postpartum. And then after that you have a dry vagina, mm -hmm. like the hormones, you're tired, you're leaking, you have stretch marks. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. really hard thing to navigate. So like what can practitioners do to help both the birthing people and the partners? Well, I think that the first thing to do is really bust up the myth that you will feel ready to have sex at six weeks. While some yes. women do feel ready physically and emotionally, many do not. Many feel emotionally drained, confused, having an identity crisis. Many are still having a lot of pain. Many are fearful that sex will be painful, so their bodies are tense. They're not ready to open and receive. So I think that just acknowledging that that six week number is just a number. And if totally. it feels right to you, great. And if it doesn't feel right to you, really express yourself to your partner, bring it up as a topic of conversation and, and explore with one another 
how can we explore intimacy together without me feeling that there's this pressure for penetration? Because I may not be ready for it. So start talking about that well before you even give birth so that there, you don't start this whole pressure rejection cycle, um, which yeah. is a really big thing. That's the huge for that the first pressure year, to have sex, And then, you know, that's typically coming from him and then the rejection, which is coming from her. And nobody wants to feel pressure and nobody wants to feel rejection. So you can really soften that cycle by, um, by expressing yourself, talking about it well in advance so that your partner's not like counting the seconds till six weeks. And so that you're, exploring other ways to be intimate, you know, massage, um, you know, sexual pleasure without penetration, um, giving pleasure as a one-sided experience, receiving pleasure as a one-sided experience. There's lots of different avenues of pleasure to explore without feelings that you have to rush into that six-week moment. So I think we got to start there. I think what happens though is also that like there's the the group of people who like I feel like the universe is of two groups of people, those with babies and children and those without. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And I think what can sometimes happen is this like resentment buildup where, generally speaking, mom is the primary caregiver. Mom is taking care of like all the mental load, the ordering of the diapers, the making sure the fridge is stocked, the feeding of a baby, the changing. And then she's like, I do not want to give an, you anything at Sex the end of the day. Sex becomes a weapon. Mm-hmm. Sex becomes a weapon. And so even if you, it like taps, not taps you out even more, but it takes any remaining shred of intimacy that you may have wanted and just like squashes it. Like the resentment. There's resentment. Oh, totally. think, or the, the, yeah. the making yeah. of a tally. Well, I did this and the I imbalance. did this. The imbalance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the imbalance is massive and it causes resentment and resentment is on the opposite side of the spectrum from attraction and, and sex becomes a weapon. You didn't get up in the middle of the night. F you. You're not getting any. (laughs) (laughs) It can become a real bargaining tool instead of like this shared moment of soothing pleasure and connection. Um, And I think that, you know, it's this weird phenomenon with women. It's like we feel we have to take everything on. Mm -hmm. We don't ask for the help. And then we get really pissy that we've had to take everything on when it was actually our choice. We made the choice because we felt like, oh, it's our job where no one can do it better. Mm-hmm. No one can do it as perfectly as me. So I've got to do it all. Then we stop asking for help. And then we're left sitting in a giant stew of resentment. So yeah. are you good at asking for help then? I'm really good at asking for help. But it came because I, I was, I, you know, I, <laughs> it was, I, I think my, my first child was about nine months old. And I had so much resentment. And one day my husband was just like, I am so sick of this. I am sick of your resentment. And I was like, huh? What? What? What do you even mean? And he's like, you resent me for having freedom. You resent me for going, you know, going to work. You resent me for all these things. And I had to take a real look at the role that I was playing in that. I had stopped asking for help. And the help that I was asking for, I was doing it in a way that came across as nagging, that came across as belittling, mm-hmm. it came across as belittling him. Um, and I was, you know, because I, I, what I did was I took a few days to notice how I was behaving and I was barking orders like, can't you just take out the garbage? Can't you just pick up the baby? Can't you just, 
can't you, can't you, can't you? And so when you present that, it's like very classic, um, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, you know, male, female dynamics. When you present something to a man, and I know I'm speaking very stereotypically here, but when you present something to a man as an order, can't you just, oh. <laughs> well, they feel they have no choice and nobody likes to feel as though they have no choice. They feel as though you are questioning, this is all subconscious, but they feel as though you are questioning their capabilities. Well, of course I can take out the trash. I'm a capable human. So nobody likes that way. So their, their, their instinct is going to be to resist, to not do it. And then you're going to feel like a nag and then you stop asking. But if you say, would you put the baby down tonight? Would you take out the trash? Would you give me a massage? Would you plan a date for us? Then you're giving them the opportunity to become a hero. You're giving them the opportunity to say yes, to rise up and like flex their muscles and be your hero. <laughs> and you get a lot more help that way. But you have to identify the areas where you need help. You have to accept that when you receive that help, it's not going to be done in exactly your way. So you can't be a royal bee and criticize the way that they're doing things. You have to relax, accept that done is better than perfect, accept the help, and then also show your gratitude because you get more help that way. And all of this leads you to wanting to become more intimate. I wish there was like a podcast for partners to be like, hey, mm. if you actually weren't an asshole, yeah. your partner might want more because I think there is this resentment cycle and some of it is like the patriarchy, like yeah. the person who gave birth is expected to do everything in yeah, a, lot a lot of, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of like the breaking down of the patriarchy that we have to do and call me old fashioned. Sometimes you have to work within the patriarchy. The patriarchy. Totally. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Because in these acute moments of parenting, you can't break down a system you know, within your own home. Sometimes you just have to work within the traditional male field sure. or female dynamics, but still express yourself and get what you need. Yeah. And, and you know what? You know what a lot of women have said to me when I shared this advice? They go, Why do I have to do more? Why do I have to look at the way I speak to my partner? Why do I have to ask? And you can either, again, sit and be pissed or you can ask for help. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it does, your point about how you ask is so. True, because I'm one of those people who I'm like, I can do everything. I do do everything. I plan all the trips. I do. I take it on. But then, like Dana said, when I want something, I almost will bark it because I'm at this point where I'm like, I've just done everything. Don't you know that I've just done everything? I don't need to. But I've just done everything because I chose to just do everything. Exactly. And then I'm like, can't you just? So I think can't it's a it, really right? good point you're making. It is the weirdest little trick that I discovered about nine years ago, and I use it every day in my relationship and Charlie knows I'm doing it <laughs> and he still just steps up and delivers. And it's a really interesting little system we do. Would you, would you, would you, or will you, would you, or will you, and you don't have to go into a million details. Would you just put the baby to bed? Because I haven't been to the gym in three weeks and I need to go to the gym because I felt that and blah, blah, blah. Would you put the baby to bed tonight? I'll be back in an hour and a half. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. So That's what bad. if you do, so you do all that. And then you still do not feel like having sex because you're four months postpartum and there's just no desire there. Totally. And there's this dynamic of, oh, well, I put the baby to sleep. So now. Well, okay. So it's not that simple and you got to let Yeah, exactly. 
Look, four months in, I think the thing that I wish that my doula had told me or any of the prenatal classes had shared with me was you're going to feel completely, can I swear? Yeah. Better if you don't. You're going to feel completely whacked. You're going to feel completely whacked for about a year. I wish someone had told me I wasn't going to know who I was for a year. I wish someone had told me that it was time to integrate into this new woman who had happened to become a mother that I was going to need more time to rediscover my desire. Um, and, and that, you know what, to, in the beginning, just to seek out daily pleasures and not to expect for this burning lust to return because everything is so shaken up, your body, your mind, your emotions, your relationship, that I think just focusing on these little sensual inputs that you can find in your daily life, relishing in the food that you eat, um, practicing touch without expectation with your partner, which is like, let's just touch each other and, and reconnect with each other and not feel like it has to go anywhere. Let's practice that for a minute. I love that. And yeah, see what that's that sparks. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, and then as far as desire, I think if you don't put any energy into it and you wait too long, you're creating a bigger obstacle mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. But I think putting any kind of expectation on yourself that you've got to be like burning with lust with a tiny baby, it's just setting yourself up for disappointment. Um, So you're saying we need to reframe our expectations. I love that. I think that's huge. Yeah. I think for, for me personally, the first year, my husband knows, so we have four kids. Okay. The first like six months to a year is not going to be nor like our normal it's our normal for now but it's not our forever you know but you still want to take time to connect absolutely and reduce those resentment building experiences and i also feel like to rebuild desire you have to rebuild it with yourself first as a consistent practice and as a part of self-care okay tell us what you mean by that so what i mean is masturbate at least once a week (laughs) At least once a week, you want to set aside 10, 20, 30 minutes to yourself without the babies, put a sign on your door, mommy needs a timeout, whatever it is, lock your door, get the kids out of the house on a walk with your partner and lay down with yourself, reconnect with yourself, make it a ritual, make it a real moment for yourself um, so that you can begin to explore your new body because our bodies do change with every baby. My orgasms got better. After my first baby, I was like, whoa, what is this? Same, same, totally. No more. This is cool. But I learned that by exploring with myself first. And I. Masturbation is so taboo. And it's interesting because I recently, I talk very openly with my three daughters about masturbation because I want them to be very empowered sexually and. Physically, I feel like this is your body and why, why should someone else give it pleasure before you give it pleasure? But I can even see that they are shocked by that. It's like it's built into us from such a, even though they have such a, an open mother, they still are shocked that I would even suggest that they explore self-pleasure. And I do it in a very age-appropriate way, obviously. Of I'm, course. I'm not like, yeah, of course. But I'm not taboo and weird about it. And um, I don't know. I just feel like so many people have told me that when I start, like I'll talk about vibrators openly and stuff Mm -hmm. and that it's this really, it's like this breath of fresh air because so many people don't. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like doulas and birth workers, people working with moms should make these suggestions? Absolutely. 
I mean, you know, all throughout both pregnancies, I masturbated. I felt like it was a very grounding practice as my body was changing. I felt like this was something that I knew how to do was to soothe myself and give myself pleasure. And that was really a grounding practice throughout each pregnancy. And then as I was healing, it was also how I learned to come back to my body and how I discovered the changes that my body had been through and where did I still need healing and, and where was I still feeling blocked off or where was I holding onto emotional trauma or pain? But why is that the job of like a birth doula or a midwife or a yoga teacher? Like why should they be the ones to well, I think to because, their clients? As you said, because it's very taboo. And so often it's not our mothers who are giving us this message. Right. And it's often not our circles of friends who are talking about this openly at mommy and me or over coffee. Right. Yeah. Especially not in the Midwest. Let's be real. Right. I was about to <laughs> maybe say. In Miami, maybe in Miami. Maybe in Miami. Did you see well, yourself talking to your clients about masturbation? Oh, I, I, absolutely. I think it's, it's important, especially the six week or the postpartum visit. It's six weeks usually with your provider and it, it varies with your doula. But I think that that is usually the time where your midwife or your doctor is saying, okay, now you are medically clear to begin whatever, but let's go beyond just saying, okay, now you can have sex. Like what else can you be sharing with your clients that makes, that empowers them? Right? Self-massage, explore, take a mirror. How does your vulva look? How does it feel? Mm -hmm. Can you explore with self-massage? You know, what does it feel like if you were to um, press a vibrator on low speed here, there? Does it feel pleasurable here? Does it feel a little painful there? What if you were to use lubricant and insert a finger? Do you feel pain? Mm -hmm. Are you, you, did you get stitches? What does it feel like? So to actually take ownership of your healing through pleasure, I think is an incredibly empowering message that birth workers and doulas should be sharing. Right. Right. I think as women, as women healing from the trauma of birth, no matter how you gave birth, even if you didn't physically give birth, but you now have a a baby that you're caring for. I think that we're, we get so disconnected from ourselves. Yes. And our desires and our needs and our pleasure. Mm -hmm. And then it can lead to more resentment. Yeah, I mean, just sleep, just not sleeping, right? Just not sleeping is going to change things. You're too tired to do the positions you're used to doing, you know? But look, what if you gave yourself 30 minutes once or twice a week and that was your self-pleasure and your nap time, right? Like double whammy, self-care. There you go. I love it. 10 minutes to masturbate, 20 minutes to nap. You wake up feeling like a new mother with a different perspective on the world. That's 30 minutes out of 24 hours in a day. And we're talking like once a week. Once a week. That would go so, so far. I mean, look, self-pleasure, masturbation is one of the most normal, healing, and honest acts of self-care that we can give ourselves as women. From a a big top-level umbrella view, it is also almost like a radical act of putting ourselves first mm-hmm. for a moment because as mothers we give we give we give as mothers we like to set ourselves on fire to keep everybody else warm so it's almost a radical act of saying you know what i'm going to take care of myself i'm going to put myself first in this massive way of getting to know my body of giving my body an incredible rush of pleasure of giving myself an incredible release of stress and also i'm empowering myself to know my body so that i can share my body 
you know, you got to know your body, know what gives you pleasure so that you can share that with your partner. So it's a really, it is, it is, it, it is kind of a radical act of putting yourself first. So if someone were to come to you and they were a new client and they said, you know, Dana, I am miserable. I am exhausted. I am tired. I kind of hate my partner. <laughs> I don't really want, you know, I, I, I really want to start enjoying my life and I want to sleep more. I want to feel like myself again. You would say, start by masturbating. I would say, let's <laughs> like, how, how does this? Okay. How does somebody yeah. who's not Dana Myers, who's not this so open, like so me and you? I think it's so normal, but I get that it's not. So okay. Do you talk to your kids about masturbation already? I do. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only cuckoo. I do. I do. And they're younger than mine. So how would I'm just thinking of ways this could come up for somebody working with the fraught exhausted mom okay how and do let's they say it's like a midwestern <laughs> mom i grew up in i'm not saying guys. i'm not Dana's from <laughs> chicago okay okay so the midwest and like maybe there's a lot of religious groups as oh, well yeah. that it's yeah. very shameful it's really hard to talk about it with some of these people okay so let me just address this okay i think the way you sort of talk about it is in this is is in this broader framework of putting some pleasure on it, right? Because feeling good feels good. We all want to feel good. It's a choice. You can choose to feel like crap. Even though you are genuinely exhausted, you can choose to really have a pity party for yourself or you can choose to put some pleasure on it. And so maybe you start the conversation in a softer way. You don't go directly towards like giving yourself an orgasm. So you say, how can we put some pleasure on this moment, right? There are so many moments in motherhood that are just so incredibly mundane and boring, it's painful, right? <laughs> but how can we put more pleasure on with, it? With Corona, we're all painful. Oh my God. How so. can we put some pleasure on it? Can you uh, delight in the way something tastes? Can you allow yourself to drift off into a fantasy of an amazing time that you made love with your husband or someone else? Can you dance for 10 minutes and feel your body, right? Little hits of pleasure in your day, little ones, not even sexual ones, but little ones. And, and, and start to talk about pleasure as a part of your daily mom life and as your experience of motherhood and womanhood in a way that is that really normalizes pleasure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're talking about daily pleasure, infusing your day with visual pleasure, playing a song that you love. Um, having a, a juicy conversation with a girlfriend, that could be classified as pleasure. And then you go, okay, well, how do we feel pleasure in our bodies? You know, can you give yourself a massage? What would it feel like if you also let that experience of self-massage turn into something a little bit more sensual? Um, and so kind of, you know, baby stepping into that conversation of self-pleasure. Um, but also, and, and you know, when it comes up, this idea of religious upbringing or family values, you grew up that you just didn't touch yourself. You know, that was not something we do in this family, right? The messages that you got, whatever that message was, if it was not pro-masturbation, if you grew up with shame or embarrassment, I think you can prompt your clients to really take a look at that. And I always talk about these kind of three steps to looking at shame or guilt or embarrassment around sex and self-pleasure. And it's one, what were you taught? What, what, what was that belief and where did it come from? And so then the person will be like, okay, well, I learned that from my parents or, you know, my Sunday school teacher told me, no, you know, that we didn't do this or I read it somewhere. Okay. 
Great. Now we know where it came from and what it is. The second thing is, do you still believe it? Do you still wholeheartedly, fully believe it? that it's wrong? Or do you question it? Do you have Mm -hmm. questions about it? For sure. I think people are a lot more open than they used to be for sure. So that question acknowledges that they're more open. Mm -hmm. And then the third prompt is like, do you want to rewrite that belief? And everybody wants to rewrite old negative beliefs. They just kind of need someone to hold their hand a little bit and show them that it's possible. And then you can be like, okay, well, what's possible here? Let's dream. What's possible that you could have a beautiful sensual relationship with yourself that you could discover more pleasure in your body and then share that in your partner relationship, like help paint the picture for your client Mm -hmm. of what's possible. Everybody loves to kind of swim around in possibilities. Mm -hmm. I remember the first, one of the first times I heard you talk about putting some pleasure on it and it made me very painfully aware. And I'm a very, the cup is half full. You know me, I'm very optimistic and I'm Usually I don't spend a lot of time freaking out about things, but it made me very aware of all the, all the missed opportunities during the day Mm. to feel joy and good. And it made me aware that I was like harboring and holding on to some level of resentment or martyrhood. You know, I'm a martyr, the, you know, as a mother and, and I really love this concept of put some pleasure on it. Cause I think if our client is not comfortable with masturbation, whether for religious or cultural reasons, then this idea though is so can be so enlightening of like, well, how many times during the day do you not offer your, like it shows the shadow. Mm -hmm. How often are you denying yourself Mm -hmm. some joy? How often Mm -hmm. are you not having fun? Mm -hmm. How often, like how much, how, how grumpy are you? Like how unhappy are you really during the day? Like you want to talk about being more satisfied, but you're Mm -hmm. so unhappy. Where are you criticizing yourself? That's right. Oh yeah. The mom guilt, the mom shame. What? Like I'm breastfeeding. I'm formula feeding. I have to go to back to work. I don't have a job. You know, it's like we have guilt about everything and then it spills into our sexual lives. And we resist pleasure into our lives. We, I think a lot of us are martyrs in a way. Like we resist getting, we resist receiving, mm-hmm. I think. Maybe I'm just speaking for me, but no, a lot no, of people I know. Sure so I think that, um, can we segue? I had a, Lindsay wrote this great quote. I want to mm-hmm. just ask it. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more. Um, oh, I saw it the other day in an article and I was like, this is perfect. I'm writing it down. Do you want to read it? No, you read it. You read it. The truth is that self-care is not enough. And it's time that we stop telling moms that a simple act of self-care will undo years of culture-induced overwhelm that is causing us all to burn out. And then it goes on to say, there is no bubble bath that will, that will hust. I might have wrote that wrong. <laughs> what does hust mean? Hust, I don't know. Hust the constant underlying buzz of anxiety. There's no girl's weekend away that will undo the isolation of a fourth trimester spent without a village. So, and it's interesting. I read this and I'm like, you know, that's like the opposite end of the spectrum too. Like what, I want to know, I know what I think of this quote. It's like, we've been trained for years not to self-care. And then we're trained for years to self-care. And now we're being told that like that message is all- Like self-care is bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Like like, there's always a criticism. Tell us, Dana. But there's truth to this. There is truth to this. I mean, look, I agree. 
I agree with what they're saying, that there is so much overwhelm and isolation that happens in the fourth trimester. And as a culture, we are not creating the village. We are not creating the support system. We are expecting women to go back to work and just bounce back and, and think like everything's normal. And that's not how it was in the olden days. <laughs> and it's not how it should be. That said, I also don't think we should kick a bubble bath or a girls weekend away to the curb because those can be very valuable. I don't know anybody who takes a girls weekend in the fourth trimester. Um, <laughs> but um, Although they should. But I think... I think what we need education on is this idea that, look, the village doesn't really exist anymore. And that's a bummer. Maybe it exists for some who live close to family. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we can help inspire moms to really dream up and paint a picture and create a vision for what their own village might look like, right? So if you don't have family around, then in or, your- Or money. What about for people who can't afford any self-care? Well, look, you don't need money to masturbate. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want the top of the line All vibrator. Right. Um, you don't need money to, for, to, to give yourself pleasure. It helps, but you don't need it, right? right? Look, babysitters help if you don't have money for it. That, look, well, the point that I'm trying to make is like, if you are aware in your second and third trimester that the village doesn't naturally exist, then you need to get inspired to create it. And you can talk to your partner, hey, look, I'm looking ahead at the fourth trimester and I'm looking around. And I don't see enough support. Can you help me? Can we together co-create what a village of support is going to look like for me and for us? Mm -hmm. Because I want to make sure that I'm taken care of. And it's advocating for yourself. And so maybe you don't have the family around, but maybe you meet women in your prenatal classes and you say, guys, I don't have anybody. I'm going to, can I count on you? I'm going to need you. And we count on each other. Mm -hmm. And it's once a week where everybody's baby, you take your baby and you go to someone's house every Thursday afternoon. I used to do this with my first kid. I would walk down the street. We all lived in the same neighborhood, walked down the street. I didn't know these women for diddly squat, but we all had babies around the same time. And we would go and we would just look at each other and be like, what are we supposed to do with them? I don't know. But being together soothed everything. Yeah, so I, the same thing. It was, I think there was like a Yahoo, back in the days of Yahoo groups, mm -hmm. there was this thing, it was this like group, we all, it was called attachment parenting. We we're all into this method of parenting, basically. So we got together once a week at the playground, let the kids run around and we just talked. We just like had interaction with other people going in the thick of it with us. Just have to reach out. But I think that we're so conditioned to be like, we have to do it all on our own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like this message that we got that I think many of us are suddenly realizing, whoa, this isn't working anymore. We have to undo it and figure out a new way. And I think a lot of people think of it as an all or nothing rather mm -hmm. than an all or something. Mm, yes. Right. So for example, like I don't have money for babysitters. I don't have money for a girl's weekend. Mm. I don't have money for a date night. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for a nap. Mm -hmm. I guess self-care and satisfaction are not for me. Right. You just have to get more creative. I mean, I would take your kids if you need a night alone with them to, mm -hmm. for a sex date. Mm -hmm. You know, I will gladly shove my kids on you mm -hmm. if I need that as <laughs> Please a, do. to have a sex date. Um, look, I always say, if you got no money for a babysitter, you've got to have one friend. Find a friend that <laughs> you can a... do. Make that friend <laughs> that you can do a babysitting trade with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, make sure that it's reciprocal. Um, and 
look, there's plenty of at-home date night ideas that don't cost a thing that you can find online, but it takes, it takes self-motivation. And that's right. what we're often lacking because we're so exhausted. Right. So you got to yeah. strike that balance between lighting a fire under your own butt to get the things that you want and deserve and actually being too exhausted to do it. So you got to do it in little bite-sized pieces. Right. Not by, not try for so. Like you said, not the all, everything, all or nothing. Right. All or yeah. something. All or something. Once a month, we're going to do an at-home date night. I've got enough energy to research one at-home date night suggestion every 30 days. Like you've got to find where your baseline motivation is and how right. much you want the change. But also, you know, coming back to this idea of like, why is sensuality so important? Why is sexuality and sexual creativity and keeping that chemistry alive between you and your partner, why is it so important? Because it's hard to find that motivation when you're so tired. It's hard to see the why. Well, why do I need it now? It's been three or four weeks anyway. Nobody cares. Like it's easy right. to let it go back, 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 right. back on the back burner. But the why is that it's the glue that will keep your relationship connected. And if you want to stay together, and you want to feel alive and vital as a woman and, and connected as in a relationship and you don't want to get divorced because sex and money, they're like one of the, they're the two of the top reasons people get divorced. You've got to invest in it. So you have to keep your eye on the prize, which is if you want to stay married and that's your prize, then I love gotta, how like business minded you are about this. I'm, I'm like super strategic about <laughs> it. I don't want to get right. divorced. For sure. Would you, would you say that, yeah. The more you do it, the more you want to do it. And the less you do it, the less you want to do it. Absolutely. Sex begets sex. Pleasure begets pleasure. If you don't have an orgasm, you kind of forget. You're like, oh, I was right. all right. I don't know. Like, oh, it seems like a lot of work. Yeah, I don't need it. But then when you have one, you're like, no one ever says, I'm so bummed that I have <laughs> I wish that I wouldn't have had that orgasm. Yeah. Right? So, but you ha your body has to have that muscle memory. You have to be in practice. So when your body has pleasure, it craves more pleasure. So you, you have to be in practice. And I remember at a workshop recently that you taught, someone said, I'm afraid that if I masturbate, you know, at, and then my partner gets home, I won't have any desire for them. Yeah. Like I'll be masturbated out. Oh yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. That's a really common concern. This idea that I have to save what little sexual energy I have yes. for my partner. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just, it's like a false economy. It's not true. It's a myth. I think that, you know, Again, the more orgasms you have, the more you want. Mm -hmm. The more your body gets used to finding that pathway to pleasure, the easier it is to find that pathway to pleasure. Now, you said you're very businesslike, and I am. So I will look at my week. I know. I love and this I about you. I will not masturbate on the same day that I'm going to have sex because I'm less motivated. I am less motivated. Okay to be okay. with Charlie in a sexual way if I've already been with myself in a sexual way. Okay, so you don't stack them I'm up like, together. I need like a one, one a day, three or four times a week, and I'm really satisfied. Mm -hmm. I'm not one who necessarily needs two or three a day. That's not who I am. So I will look at my week. And I'm I happy with twice a week, by the way. Not everybody <laughs> has Dana's drive. <laughs> I'm a pleasure monster. You I like are it. a pleasure. You are in every way. I, think I honestly, I'm starting to think that it's my karma, that it's the reason I was put on earth is to experience pleasure. 
And I'm one. <laughs> I do. We all, oh, I want to be that. I honestly, I'll I, reincarnate. We can, we can all like, I mean, hello, who doesn't want to be, that is a great thing to recognize that you are because that's amazing. Well, you are attracting <laughs> it. So good for you. And it's a muscle that you've worked, right? Like any muscle. Other people can work that muscle. I think we think, well, I'm just, I mean, there's a spectrum, right? There's, and there's a lot of new words coming out. There's one, I can't remember the name of it, but it means basically like you're not sexually attracted to someone until you get to know them emotionally. Do you guys know that term? I can't remember it. It's interesting because when I, no, I don't know that one, but when I'm with Dana, which is a lot, everyone wants to do something for her. And it's really interesting to witness. And I think it's, I, I have taken on the role of being like the loving sidekick who looks on with the stars in her eyes and just like loves the fact that my bestie is getting showered by everyone. But it's interesting because I really think it comes back to this idea that Dana has flexed that muscle. Yeah. She knows how to ask and she does it in a very, it makes you want to do things for Dana. And she is also the most giving, per- you are the most giving person I know. So it's not like- But she's every- not afraid to take. And I think that a lot of moms exactly are afraid to take. Exactly it. Yeah. She is the least selfish person I know, but she's also, she's selfish. I get what you mean. But in a yeah. non-selfish way. And well, it selfish is, is a dirty word and it shouldn't be. It's an incredible talent. I think all of us as mothers really need to learn- how to be more to receive more yes receive. tell I, us more about that dana so honestly it is it's, it's not something that we're taught but i look at um receiving from other people as this may sound wrong or mm-hmm. weird Just as giving them a gift because it feels good to give someone something mm. so if someone wants to give me something i will gladly receive it because it will make them feel good. It feels good to give. That's it does. What, that's what I like it to does. give. You said I'm, I'm, I'm a giver and I am a giver and it feels good to give. Um, but if you look at, instead of feeling like, oh, I don't want you to do that for me or you don't have to, you don't have to, you're actually denying that person the gift of giving. So and then I want to give everybody the right. gift of giving to me. I love that. <laughs> Yo, and I think that we're talking- this perspective. And you know, we're talking like pregnancy, postpartum, but- Thinking of the people who tend to work with pre and postnatal people, midwives, doulas, yoga teachers, they are givers. They are givers to the extreme. And I find that a lot of us are not good at receiving because we are so, it's like the service industry of just like pouring ourselves into people, you know, staying up for three days for a birth, just like not taking care of ourselves. And so I think this is huge for them too. Yeah. Are you good at asking for things, Dana? Always. So, because people are not going to just gift you unless you're also really good at. I, my, my husband calls me a master delegator, but um, I don't know if I delegate things as much as I invite people <laughs> to help me. <laughs> it's really in the way that you frame it. It's an invitation, not a demand. And everybody wants to be invited to the party. <laughs> yeah. It does take a special talent to be able to do what you do. Well, look, you have to feel confident enough to express yourself. And I think that that's where a lot of women get hung up. And so whether you're a practitioner and you need help or you're a a new mom and you need help, I think we can get hung up in our words. How do we say it without feeling selfish? How do we say it without being demanding? Right. And so we choose not to say it at all. Right. And really one way that you can practice this is to stand in front of the mirror and literally practice asking 
for what your desires are. Do you do that? I do. And I do it because it helps me get comfortable with my word choices. It helps me get comfortable with hearing my voice say it. So like, and this works in and out of the bedroom, right? So as an, an, as an example in the bedroom, so many women don't ask for the position, the motion, the maneuver, the direction of the hand, the intensity of the thrusting that they actually want because they are so afraid of how it will sound. Mm. So and most stand, partners are like, yes, please tell me. You want to know. Mm-hmm. But if you stand Good in partners. the mirror and you literally practice saying the words, you get over your embarrassment, you get used to the way your voice sounds so that when you're in the moment, you can remember. Again, it's muscle memory. You can remember how did it feel. Okay, I'm confident. I know my word choices. I can say it. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds maybe robotic or, or overly calculated, but it's a very practical way to get comfortable with expressing your desires and really get comfortable with your word choices and then building your confidence to be able to say it and ask for it from the person that you need it from. That's huge. And I like, again, you're so strategic. I'm super strategic about things. Yeah. And very confident. Mm-hmm. But it's confidence through practice. The only way to get confident at something is to practice doing it. Yeah. Right. And it's so true. It's so, it, and, and again, then that begets more satisfaction and pleasure. And then you go, oh, I asked for it. I got it. It felt good. Let me repeat that. Correct. So what's another, a little bit different, but what you, this made me think about was a new mom who's feeling frumpy. Her belly has stretch marks. Maybe she's larger than she's been in the past. And she just doesn't feel like she knows or loves the person that she sees in the mirror. Yeah. So what, what well, do you think of that? Like, yeah. I mean, satisfied. I think there have been a couple waves of body positivity and it's all going in the right direction. And I think that, you know, what we saw within the last few years was like, love your body, no matter the size. And I think that worked for many women, but for some, it was missing the step in the middle. How do I go from really hating myself for decades to loving myself just as I am? Like, what's my pathway there? And I think the word that we were missing and the practice that I, that I like to share is the middle step is about respect. Is how mm. can I respect my body? Mm-hmm. In, in its state. I, don't, I may not need to love it or put it on a pedestal or show it off. I might not be ready for that, but how can I just respect my body again? Respect Someone we interviewed called it body neutrality. And I like that. Yes, totally. Body neutrality. Mm-hmm. Um, but like respect your body for the strength that it had to give birth, for the softness that it required, for the opening that it required, for the bravery that it required to give birth. And I think that it's easier and more of a baby step to go to respect and then from respect go to love and admiration and celebration but it's like you got to kind of baby step yourself there and practice i mean for years i still do it for years i stood in the mirror like when i would especially what happened with both babies after rocky it was my thighs that i was like where did you come from i I hate you and i love myself but i was like really focused on my thighs and then with indy it was my belly because I'd had a C-section and my whole midsection got trashed. I had no idea what happened to my body. So I would literally, when I would hear myself start to go into that negative body banter, that trash talk, you're so big, you're so fat, you'll never look good again, you know, all that stuff that we tell ourselves. I would clap my hands twice as a wake-up call. And then I would say, enough. And I would march myself into the bathroom 
put myself in front of the mirror and I would force myself to transition that negative thought into a more self-respecting and loving affirmation. So it would be like, ah, it was belly and I'd be squeezing my belly and it's so fat, it's disgusting, you're spilling everywhere. And then I would go in the mirror and I'd put my hands on my belly and I'd rub my belly and I'd be like, you held your beautiful daughter. You braved a C-section. You're still recovering and I respect you. Mm -hmm. And it may have sounded phony or false or forced in the beginning, but again, it's practice. The more you practice it, then you actually start to believe it. Mm -hmm. You start to build that self-respect. For me, a practice, I love that clapping, by the way. And I've heard you talk about well, it's it. And it's, it's a wake up. So, How do we change yeah. our behavior? Yeah. Let's wake ourselves up. And for me, one of the things that really helped me, and we're getting off topic into like body positivity stuff though, is where I would look at photographs of real women and in my mind think, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. You're, and it's almost this going back to that neutrality thing. Like because we live in a culture that prizes thin over anything else, mm -hmm. that we've all been brainwashed that if we don't see thin in front of us, then, or if we don't see a flat belly with no stretch marks, right? And like, I look at pictures of real women and it's almost like cleaning my brain of all the like mm. other images mm, mm. and just I like seeing that. the beauty and all of that. And I that has that. really helped me mm. with my own body. I think we all have body image. We can't not. Mm -hmm. We do, but it can definitely carry into intimacy with partners, right. I think, especially when we've right. changed so much from what we remembered from pre-kids. partners don't care. Remember I was walking with- I know. Down a museum, I'll never forget this. And we were with another friend of mine, and my friend was worried that everyone was looking at us because we were a little tipsy. <laughs> and Dana said to her, and my, my friend, our friend had grown up in this very strict, rigid Latin culture, and she, um, you know, she doesn't meet the norm Latin girl. She she dates women. She's a lesbian. She, you know, she's very hyper aware of everyone constantly judging her because she was so rejected by her family. And Dana just looked at her and was like, "Listen, I'm going to tell you a secret about society. Okay, this is a truth. Don't ever forget it." I can't remember how I was so tipsy, but I I'll never forget <laughs> this. And you said, "Nobody cares about you." <laughs> Ever, the I, only I, person who cares yes. about you. Nobody's looking at you. You know why? You know why they're not looking at you? They're not looking at you because they're only thinking about what everyone else thinks about themselves. And I was like, I tell this to my teenager all the time because she's self-conscious. Like yeah, nobody's nobody thinking. You. Nobody. Yeah, they're all, especially they're, they're all caring about themselves. <laughs> That's so true. It was so like funny. one of the best advices you'd ever told out. That was a blunt moment. Yeah. It was so it's good. Though, but it, I think true. it's true. And it goes back to this idea of like those of us who feel embarrassed to get naked in front of our partners, if we can just remember that they don't care either. Totally. And, and they don't care. They're just happy to be seeing boobs. And, <laughs> and also in that moment where you feel as though your mind is taking you into a worry or a thought or um, a feeling about the way your breast looks or your bed, belly or your butt is to go to a mantra of my body deserves pleasure. My body deserves mm -hmm. pleasure. Get out of your racing mind and come into this belief, this mantra, this repetition. My body deserves pleasure. My body deserves pleasure. And just try to calm those thoughts, focus in on what you deserve, which is pleasure. And then mm take yourself one step further into what does the sensation feel like? Not what do I look like? How does this feel? 
Oh, it feels good. Okay. The touch of his hand on my, on my arm feels good. Oh, my, my, my pussy is starting to get aroused. That feels good. And then suddenly you've brought yourself into this place of deserving pleasure and then really gui guiding yourself into feeling the, the specific sensations of that pleasure. That's and amazing. Then, right. And then you've walked right. yourself out of your racing mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. We are at our time. We could talk about sex and pussies for hours. <laughs> I love May it. May they all be wet. May they be wet and pleasured. That's and right. May you flex that muscle of pleasure. Yes. And for pelvic floor health too, please. Mm -hmm. um, Dana, where can we find you? Where, where can our listeners learn more, find more, follow you, the socials, all of that good stuff? Yeah. You can find me on my website, stanabemyers.com. I'm sure you guys will post it in the mm -hmm. show notes. Yes. And there I've got a ton of free resources, weekly blogs and videos. You can find your way to my program, The Satisfied Mama, um, where I just guide you through really actionable lessons to help you feel more inspired and better and have better sex. And you can find me on Instagram at Dana Myers. XOXO. And I have taken, I will out myself that I've taken a lot of Dana's advice, a lot of your advice, and my mm -hmm. sex life is better because of it. So um, thank you. And thank you so much for this conversation. It's been so enlightening. I always learn something from you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. It was total pleasure and absolutely enjoyable. Thanks, guys. Thank you all for listening to the One Strong Mama podcast for birth professionals. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate all of the support. If you are a birth worker with an inspiring client, or if you have a birth pro in mind that we should definitely chat with, please email us at podcast at onestrongmama.com. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at one strong mama prenatal for tips for all stages of pregnancy and definitely join in on the discussion in the one strong mama facebook community group see you here next time this episode is brought to you by the one strong mama program the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy birth and beyond based on the body ready method teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more.